0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.
1: And uh, if, it is, if you weren't here last week, it's your first week here this week. I don't know if that's true for anybody. Uh, last week I said... Um, If nobody's welcomed you before, please allow this to be your first very warm welcome on behalf of the Advent. So delighted you're you're here truly. Um, This is one of my favorite things uh, that I get to do here is uh, sort of uh, oversee our newcomers ministry in in this class, Um, working with this morning uh, class two times a year. uh, It's really one of my most favorite seasons around here, and I really hope to, to get to know um, all of you individually, but uh, more importantly, I hope you all will get to know each other. Um, and before uh, we kind of go into uh, everything, Fontaine, is there anything that you have for us to yes, announce? actually. And if you um, haven't met Fontaine Pope. Um, welcome. And you'll see
0: these little those little packets, there's group of three booklets. The church went through a visioning process, and so you're welcome to um, have one, of kind of one per family. Hopefully, we'll have enough. And then if you haven't had a chance, we're having a um, reception this Thursday at our senior warden's house, Jane Menendez, at 537. And if you haven't had a chance to um, reply to me, if you can, just sometime today or tomorrow. That would be great day. Um if you if this is your first time here, know that there will always be coffee here. And then there's a restroom down around the building. And then Tanya Cooper is one of our Lenten Lunch co-chairs. And Lenten Lunch it starts a week from Wednesday. that's, Gosh, kind of that's day. Day. And Tanya is going to give a little closer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're so glad y'all are here. Welcome, welcome. Um, I'm
2: sorry I missed being with y'all last week. Um, if you have not been to Lenten Lunch, we'd love for you to come. We promise we're not going to ask you to preach, but um, (laughs) we want y'all to come, and if you would like to get involved, um, I would love to have you. You could come and chop chicken, you could chop vegetables, you could serve on the line, but um, uh, you certainly don't need to just jump right in if you don't want to. But please come. We have a list of speakers. We have a speaker every day, and then we have lunch every day, Monday, through Friday. We have entree, soup, salad, sandwiches. We have an express line that you can go through and just grab a bag or you can go through and just get soup and salad. But we would, we welcome you to come and um, please come find one of us if you're here and say I'm coming into the Advent because we would love to sit with you. Everybody just sits at a different table. So y'all please try to put that on your calendar. Take one of these. I've got them up here. You can pick the speaker. It's also on the website. But it's a really special thing that we do. It's not a business. It's just a ministry. We minister to the downtown community. We have jurors that come. We have people who really, they may not have even walked in the church before, but um, it's a really special time. We love Lent here, and this is just a really special thing that we do, and we hope y'all will join us. Okay? I look forward to seeing you, and please come tell me your name
0: when you do come because I'm terrible on them.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Um, but I'll have on a purple
2: apron. Do we
1: have those flyers in here? Yeah, the, right here.
0: We do, and then and next week I'll try to bring, I see uh, couple yard signs yeah we do um little publicity around the community and i'll i'll bring a few yard signs next week and the we menu's on
2: the back so you can pick which day you want them wednesdays and thursdays are really busy days so it's chicken and cornbread dressing and with me. so um, anyway we hope y'all will join us it's really a fun special time here at that event
1: great thanks okay. tanya mm-hmm. anything else Fontaine? Oh,
0: that's, that's-
1: Yeah, and if you haven't got the purple packets yet, it's uh, some helpful information. There's actually more info, I think, in there on Lenten lunches. Um, um, And, uh, yeah, you know, one of our sort of core ministries around here, as a matter of fact, when Andrew Pearson called me up about this position, I was excited because I thought he was calling to invite me to come be a Lenten speaker because I knew (laughs) knew about the preaching series for years, and I was like, oh, cool, he's going to, you know, uh, and he said, I wonder what you think about coming on staff. And I thought, that's even better. I get to preach every week at the Advent. Um, <laughs> but I've known about the preaching series for years just because uh, it is really, uh, there's nothing else like it, at least in the Episcopal Church, probably anywhere, in terms of this five week long series where we get preachers in every weekday and, and some real all stars in that um, respect. Well, um,. If we could just uh, go around quickly again, this time I'm not going to ask you to say anything, but just a big part of this is to get to know each other and uh, to learn someone's name is important. If you could uh, just go around and say your name, Uh, if you're one of our shepherds, uh, if you could highlight that, and Fontaine's actually appears to have made that easier, this term, by giving Shepherd's a white uh, name tag. Is that true? And then uh, everybody's in the class is yellow. Is that is that what you've done? The, the, the um, you got a yellow uh, name tag that's telling you to slow down. Um, uh, so um, white
0: is either a shepherd or a just a long time member of Advent. around. Okay. Um,
1: so if you could just go around and say your full name, uh, and if you're one of our shepherds, if you could highlight that. Those are folks who are here. Uh, For your sake, just to get to know uh, people in the church better and often they are folks who are kind of plugged in. Um, They'd love to get to know you better uh, because there's just really not enough of me and Fontaine to go around. We really hope that you'll get to to know those folks and they know, if not as much, sometimes more than we do about what's going on around here. Um, uh, And uh, maybe if you're with your spouse, kind of make that known that you two go together. So just say your name, full name, uh, if you're with a family member or spouse. Uh, and if you're one of our shepherds, highlight that. Matt Schneider. Um, my wife's not here. Gene yeah.
0: Tomlin.
3: Doug Webster. buddy. Well,
0: Chuck Holmes. And I'm Sarah Holmes.
1: So you go together. <laughs>
0: I'm Nick Greenwood. I'm a shepherd. This is my wife, Judy. John Hargrove, I'm a shepherd. I'm Anna Way. I go with Sam. Stay. <laughs> 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 do, do people ever make no
1: way jokes to you? Yes. Yeah. All yeah. yeah. All time. Easy right.
0: web uh, shepherd. Brittane Shepherd. My wife Amanda is also, but she'll be here next week. Sarah Catherine
2: Nesbit. is
0: my husband. Yep. And I'm Scott Nesbit.
2: Alphonte Pete
0: Richard. steve Cooper. I'm Daniel Cooper and he got the thing. And he there are. He are want to uh, Thank you. Oh, absolutely. I'm Sarah Webb. I'm married to Andy over there. Oh,
1: but Wall- I'm a shepherd. Marla Wall- yeah. Foster. David Boyette.
3: Brendan Nablack. This is my fiance, Esther and Oji. Esther. Great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ellis Brazil. Debbie Brazil. Rebecca
0: Ficos. Tony husband. Peggy Bennett Titus. Rebecca Taylor. Jeannie Pay. Maybe we Katherine Wilson. Michael Lynch, Mike, Stephen Green, I'm a shepherd. Kevin Perot,
1: Andrew Perot. All right, great. Thanks, all. Um, uh, each week I'll bring in a prayer that I think kind of relates to our lesson, maybe, maybe not. Uh, it's just I'll try I try to bring in some of at least the beloved Prayers of our prayer book tradition or one that's spoken to me and I'm going to pray today uh, before we get started uh, what's called the prayer for all sorts and conditions of men which if anybody grew up in the church decades ago uh, using our 1928 prayer book they would have known this prayer uh, well um, and I think it speaks at least in uh, and it's overall um, um, sort of understanding of God as uh, our provider uh, and his providence uh, who's involved in our lives um, um, and for all sorts and conditions of people. Let's pray. Oh, God, the creator and preserver of all mankind, we humbly beseech thee for all sorts and conditions of men that thou wouldst be pleased to make thy ways known unto them Thy saving health unto all nations. That it may please thee to comfort and relieve them according to their several necessities, giving them patience under their sufferings and a happy issue out of all their afflictions. And this we beg for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. So today our lesson is God the Creator and Lord. We'll hear from Doug Webster on that. And um, we're sort of starting in terms of the really meaty instruction. Last week I did give you. Um, a sort of doctrine of Scripture, um, a theology of Scripture, at least as we see it around here. And say we're we're going to talk about a sort of doctrine of God, or you might think of theology, meaning thinking about God, sort of theology in a proper sense, but uh, but from a Christian and biblical point of view. Um, and as just as everything from, as I said last week, flows out, in this course, sort of flows out of Scripture um it, it's important to not only in this class to get to know each other, but to get to know just who God is, uh, especially. Um, that's a, a pretty important topic. So I'm going to hand it over to Doug. And if you would, if you want to say anything more about yourself before you uh, start teaching, feel free to do that. Here is your reporter.
3: Well, let's. Uh, this, this morning we're going to focus on Psalm 8 for this large theme of God as creator and redeemer. I mean, it's so big that we've got to kind of bring it down and anchor it uh, somewhere. And the Psalms are a great place to anchor God's the, God's truth and revelation to us. So I've got, you should have a handout in front of you. And uh, that has the nine verses of Psalm 8 recorded there. Uh, under the title, The Lord of Creation and Redemption. So let's pray this psalm. Uh, the psalms <clears throat> are Jesus' prayer book. Uh, Jesus grew up praying these psalms. And in a way, they are the church's first prayer book. And we pray these now as Christians in the light of uh, a risen Lord, who is our Redeemer. Verse 1 of Psalm 8. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands, and you put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and animals of the wild, the birds of the sea in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord. Our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Let me just make a few observations before going with the, the study. I've tried to get this down. Our time is kind of short. The topic is huge. And I wanted to raise a few um, observations about the text and about culture uh, here. And so I've put them down so, so as to guide my thinking A lot of people connect Psalm 8 with Genesis 1, God creating the heavens and the earth and making the human person in his image, male and female. And Psalm 8 is a celebration of that Genesis text. You'll find that as you read through the Psalter, as you read through the Psalms, that every once in a while you come upon a Psalm that in a sense reboots the worshiper. A lot of psalms are dark and difficult and challenging. There are laments. There are thanksgivings. But Psalm 8 is one of those reboot psalms. After dealing with sort of the intensity and the anxiety and the struggles of life, there's just this kind of beautiful psalm that brings us back to the fact that God is creator and redeemer. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. In a way, that kind of just says it right there. Uh, Lord, Yahweh, I am. And the big question really in life is the definition of I am. Uh, The French philosopher, René Descartes, mathematician, Roman Catholic, yet struggling with how do you prove God apart from his revelation? How do you prove God apart from what he has spoken in his word? And he came up with the first basic postulate or first basic principle, I am. I think, therefore I am. I think, therefore I am. Now, that sent Western thought way off into an understanding where the self becomes the starting point. And that really is contrary to an understanding of God's revelation where God is the starting point. Like Psalm 8.1, I am, O Lord, I am, how majestic is your name. And name is everything about God, who he is and what he has done. Contrast kind of the Descartes, I, am, I think, therefore I am, with the Apostle Paul's. I am who I am by the grace of Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 15. And that's kind of a big question in terms of understanding our identity in relationship to God who's creator and redeemer. Do we think as Descartes, I think therefore I am, I define my own self, I am self-identifying or is my identity rooted in who God is. I am who I am by the grace of Christ. I'd say that the advent stands in the light of the gospel, I am who I am by the grace of Christ. Ties in well with like Matthew 16, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. When after Peter <coughs> he said to Christ when Christ raises the question who do people say that I am, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And that becomes the basis of identity, the basis of understanding of who we are. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe, and the avenger through the praise of children Uh, one of the things that i think you'll discover here at covenant is that ministry to children is a real priority there's a lot of thought a lot of concern a lot of prayer that goes into ministry to children here at the advent we're really concerned that adolescents teenagers college students have a grasp of what it means to really know Jesus Christ, to know the gospel. Isn't it interesting that God will, in a way, uh, subject his reputation and his testimony to the praise of children, to the weakest among us, to the smallest among us. And that's beautiful from God's standpoint. Um, Our fourth grandkid was born January 14th, uh, Jonah Andrew King in San Diego. Uh, You know, from the lips of children, he has ordained praise to silence the foe and the avenger. Uh, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, when I look at this cosmos, who am I? What is mankind that you are mindful of him? Human beings that you care for them. We are just so small in the light of the cosmos. So insignificant. We're on an insignificant planet among millions of galaxies. Who are we in the light of that cosmos? Verse 5, you have made them a little lower than the angels. And here's a a textual debate. Probably shouldn't enter into a textual debate in an inquirer's class on Sunday morning at 10.15. (laughs) But the real translation is probably, but scribes were embarrassed, so they changed it. You have made them a little lower than God. and crown them with glory and honor there's a twofold contrast here between the cosmos and our littleness in comparison to God and our significance because we are made in God's image and to understand that we are a reflection of the very character and being of God, not by any kind of merit, not by any kind of thing that we did, but uh, because God has invested, infused, made us that way. You've made them a little lower than God and crowned with glory and honor. and You made them rulers over the works of your hands and Put everything under their feet and all flocks and herds, the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and all that swim the paths of the sea. You can see why Psalm 8 ties in so well to Genesis and the creation account. And then the conclusion, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The first and last sentence is an inclusio that draws the whole psalm together. So number one, the greatness of God and the littleness of man. If I drop over dead, you've really already gotten the essence of what I want to say. So now this is color (laughs) commentary. At the heart of this hymn of praise is a question. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And David asks and answers this critical question in an unusual way. Instead of lecturing, he worships. And, you know, The best kind of, uh, to me, the best kind of evangelism of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ occurs in a really good worship service where God is honored and his majesty is praised and there is a lifting up of prayer and proclamation and there is a a standing up and a kneeling down and a recognition of who God is, uh, the majesty of his name. That's Powerful evangelism. That's presenting the gospel. To me, I'm most comfortable with that kind of evangelism um, where you're not so much uh, buttonholing a person and saying you got to believe as much as showing this is what it is to believe. And that is a powerful testimony. And that's what David does here. He leads us in worship. The psalm begins and ends with the refrain, I am Yahweh is kind of... Hebrew for I am, that's the simplest way I can describe it, the covenant Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. I'm going to just throw in other things just to kind of make it maybe a little interesting along the side. This is the color commentary. A professor at Harvard, uh, professor of clinical psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, Armani Nikolai, and I've heard him speak and I've read his book uh, and enjoy his book, he For years, led one of the most popular classes at Harvard on comparing Sigmund Freud and C.S. Lewis. And he wrote a book, uh, and this book is the distillation of some 20 years of teaching uh, that course uh, to Harvard medical students. And uh, he begins each of those courses with the, the Socratic statement, the unexamined life is not worth living. And then he goes on to say, and that quote is on the top of the right column, within the university students and professors scrutinize every possible aspect of our universe from the billions of galaxies to subatomic particles, electrons, quarks, but they assiduously avoid examining their own lives. I don't know if you've found that to be true. Uh, in the wider world, we keep hectically busy and fill every free moment of our day with some form of diversion, work, computers, television, movies, radio, magazines, newspapers, sports, alcohol, drugs, parties. Perhaps we distract ourselves because looking at our lives confronts us with our lack of meaning, our unhappiness, and our loneliness, and with the difficulty, the fragility, and the unbelievable brevity of life. Sometimes it's hard to ask that question, who am I? Uh, I'm suggesting that we ask that question best by understanding who God is as creator and redeemer. (coughs) It's difficult to stop and to uh, think and to be open and to listen. Um, I pastored two churches on the coast. And my experience in those two churches, Central Presbyterian Church in New York City, and before that, First Presbyterian Church of San Diego, my experience has been that people in the church, on the coast, are more regular in worship than we who are in the South, in the Bible Belt. It's maybe counterintuitive, but those of us in this culture may not sense the great need to be together in worship, and to be thinking, and to be praying, and to be worshiping together. I, that's one of the surprising uh, factors. And I don't know if it's just the uniqueness of the particular churches that I've been involved but there has been a sense um, in both of those churches if you're apart, you're there. And that has led to a sense of, of continuity, and it's so much easier to build relationships that way, uh, that sort of. Uh, continuous worship. I'm not a Star Wars buff. I don't mean to imply anything of knowing more than I don't know. Um, So I don't mean to, but maybe this works for you. Um, If I only gave what I was interested in, I would be very, very boring. Um, The modern quest for spirituality tends to be man-centered and self-focused. Daniel Burke, CNN religion editor, this just came out, discusses the spiritual message hidden in the blockbuster movie in Star Wars. Has any of you, well, I shouldn't probably ask that question, should I? And the only reason I went was to go with my son-in-law. Um, when Luke prepares to torch the tree, if you've seen it, if you haven't, sorry, <laughs> Towards the tree with, uh, that contained the, the sacred Jedi text, Yoda appears out of nowhere and does the deed himself. Time it is, Yoda says, for you to look past a pile of old books. Now, of course, when he says that, all Christians get kind of nervous. <laughs> is the message of the film that uh, you've got to get beyond the biblical text and uh, trash it? It's done. But Daniel Burke speculates that maybe Yoda's apparent willingness to burn the old pile of books isn't really about text, which he already knows are safely in Rey's possession. Again, if you know nothing about the film, sorry, I apologize. Maybe, uh, but we don't have time to discuss the whole thing. Maybe like a good Zen teacher, it's a mirror showing us our own minds. Are we preoccupied with the past Concerned about the future or paying attention to the needs in front of our noses. But again, you know, the modern's quest for spirituality is usually going to locate the concern in yourself and what you find is important and not in understanding that God has revealed himself, made himself known. David answers the critical question, what is man? What is the human person from a God-centered perspective? Who are we depends on who God is and what God has done. All of God's character and perfections are summed up in his name. How majestic is your name in all the earth. We see ourselves best when we live contentedly in the paradox of the greatness of God and the littleness of man. And when we understand humbly the sovereignty of God and the significance of man. The psalm celebrates the name I am. Let's turn the page. And as I've said before, it highlights the Genesis account um, and it draws attention to God's vulnerability in allowing his testimony to be heard through children. And this has a a long term sort of theological connotation when you think of uh, from the lips of children you have ordained praise because God himself will submit to our humanity by becoming human and taking on the reality of a baby and being born in a manger. And I would suggest to you that the Advent believes in the literalness, the physicality of that, the reality of the incarnation, not as Christian myth, but as Christian reality, as truth, as truth for all people, not just for Christians. But God himself has infleshed himself in our humanity and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth god made himself real in the form of a child and that's just shocking truth in a secular arena like ours that it's not kosher uh, But I think everybody in this room would prefer that we declare that rather than you waiting for another shoe to drop. You mean they really? Like one of my neighbors said, you mean you really believe in that silly stuff? (laughs) I get along good with that neighbor, but he just can't understand how I could believe that way. Well, I do. We do. It's a shared conviction here. The middle of the first column there on page two, we are not the product of a solitary God. We are the personal creation of the living God who is essentially social. And what I mean by that is that God, his Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Trinitarian truth that the Advent adheres to strongly, affirms constantly, is that God is already in community. God needs, not; he doesn't need us to feel something. God is God. I am who I am. There is a completeness, a wholeness, a fullness in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which only means that the relationship with us is completely one of love. We're not needed by God. He doesn't need our reverence. He doesn't need our worship. He invites relationship, invites worship. This psalm doesn't do much in terms of the impersonal what, but it does a whole lot in terms of the personal who. The last paragraph on the left side, the psalmist is impressed with the greatness of God and the littleness of man, whether it's a shepherd boy sleeping out under the vast vaulted canopy of the oriental sky. That's in quotes from somebody else. I don't write that well. Or an, ast- an astronomer peering through the Keck twin telescopes in Hawaii, or a molecular biologist examining a specimen under scanning, transmission, electron, holography, m- microscope, humility is in order. Against the largeness of the universe, man naturally feels small, and it's good for us to be awed at the greatness of God. Augustine, one of our early church fathers, writing in the 400s, declared the secret of spiritual growth with a triple emphasis. Just like the real estate agent, location, location, location. (laughs) Think theologian. Humility, humility, humility. We suffer from today. G.K. Chesterton, who left the High Anglican Church for Roman Catholicism, but one of our really appreciated Christian writers observed, our humility is in the wrong place today. Humility has moved from ambition to conviction. A man, a person, was meant to be doubtful about himself but undoubting about the truth. This has been exactly reversed nowadays. The part of a person that a man does assert is exactly the part he ought not to assert himself. We've made us self-confidence the issue. The part he doubts is exactly the part he ought not to doubt, the divine reason. So before you, I should be very insecure. (laughs) But in representing God, I should be very confident. And I think we aim to get that here at the Advent. About ourselves, no big deal about God, the biggest deal. We are not built on personality, we're not built on charisma. As Andrew said in today's message, we're not trying to create an experience to attract you, us. We're trying to worship the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, according to his truth and his revelation. God makes us something in relationship to him. Now, that's uh, contrary to um, Francis Crick's observation. Uh, Let me throw that in paragraph before number two. The proponents of nature alone. And many of us live and work in context in which nature alone and existential self-fulfillment is the key The proponents of nature alone claim that their materialistic theory of man is not reductionistic. I find this amazing. British physicist and biochemist uh, Francis Crick, who was instrumental in discovering the molecular structure of DNA, one of the co-discoverers, had this to say about the human person in his book, The Astonishing Hypothesis, is that you, your joys, your sorrows, your memories, your ambitions, your sense of personal identity and free will, are in fact no more than the behavior of a vast assembly of nerve cells and their associated molecules. Crick insists that this mechanistic view of the human animal has not diminished our sense of awe but increased it immeasurably. To say that our behavior is based on a vast interacting assembly of neurons should not diminish our view of ourselves but enlarge it tremendously. I'll leave that for you to decide. If you're just thinking that your love, your thought, your wisdom, your relationships are just a matter of neurons, just a matter of biochemical reactions, and they're nothing more than that, or that you indeed are made in the image of God. And the capacity to love, the capacity to think, the capacity to reason, the capacity to communicate, the capacity to worship, speaks of that being just a little less than God and made in God's image. Number two, the sovereignty of God and the significance of the person. And I may need to just sort of summarize this because, well, an astrophysicist can describe the earth as an insignificant speck of dust tiny planet revolving around a mediocre star in the outskirts of the Milky Way. And the Milky Way is just one galaxy among millions of galaxies, each separated by about a million light years. Earth is to the cosmos what we are to the Earth, an inexplicable anomaly. You ever think about that? That in this vast, vast, vast universe, on one small planet, there's us. That's phenomenal. And there's nothing like us any anywhere else that we know of. The scandal of particularity accentuated. So it's right for us to feel small in the light of that. And it's that kind of thinking that led, on the last page there, the second to the last, C.S. Lewis's conversion. Um, And again, Lewis has been a a helpful, in the 20th century, a helpful kind of negotiator with the modern secular mind and what it is to uh, submit to the revelation of God. C.S. Lewis came to faith in Christ in his early 30s. If there was anyone who was not programmed to believe in God and did not deserve to be labeled gullible, it was Lewis. As he writes in his book, Surprised by Joy, the things I assert most vigorously are those that I resisted long and accepted late. And he concluded that no state of mind or body could satisfy his desires. He longed for something other, something outside of himself, I did not yet ask, explains Lewis, who is the desired, only what is it? But this brought me already into the region of awe. For I thus understood that in the deepest solitude there is a road out of the self. A commerce with something which by refusing to identify with any object of the senses or anything whereof we have biological or social need or anything imagined or any state of our own minds proclaims itself sheerly objective. Twelve years later, he wrote, uh, gave a sermon at St. Mary's, and I've worshipped in that church. Um, thinking through uh, Lewis's uh, really well-known one, uh, some people rate the "The Weight of Glory" as the best sermon in the 20th century. I don't know if you could possibly do that, but some do. I've heard them say that. But he makes the point uh, that you and I have never, ever been in contact with a mere mortal, that we are created in God's image so that we're not just ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours is the life of a gnat. Those will go, but it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And I like what Anglican John Stott, who also had a huge impact in the 20th century uh, in missions and in the church, we are not bodiless souls, nor soulless bodies, but bodies and souls in community. And that kind of sums up how important it is to be within the church, the body of Christ. Neither bodiless souls nor soulless bodies, but bodies and souls in community. Now, I just have a minute more. Psalm 8 is going to get picked up and used powerfully in the New Testament. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him? That's going to be Jesus' favorite title, son of man. He'll use it in reference to himself more than any other way of speaking of the Messiah. The Son of Man. He'll pick that up and he'll own that. So what was written for humanity, but humanity failed because of sin. You know, Psalm 8, there's no mention of sin. But because humanity failed in our sinfulness, the Son of Man came and showed us how humanity is to be lived. How it's truly to be lived to the fullness of God's glory. And in order to make it possible for us to experience that fullness... God designed that his sacrificial atoning death on the cross would provide the redemption for our sinfulness. Now I'm rushing, you know, creator and Lord. Matt, that was way too much to give me. Um, But it is the redeemer, the son of man, that provides for our salvation. Well, you can look this over. Um, Don't be confused by the last parable, a Winnie the Pooh parable. Christopher Robin, and they discover the North Pole. So see if you can figure that one out. (laughs) Lord God, thank you for your goodness, for your love and mercy to us. As we move into worship and as we go into life, may we do so in your presence. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh,
1: Thanks,
3: Doug. Uh, (coughs) uh, Thank you one other thing yeah. I you brought know. an article on sports I've got a few here intensity without ultimacy a Christian perspective on sports it may be timely <laughs> <laughs>